God, we thank you for this day. We thank you that these kinds of storms that we experienced this morning uh, remind us of the awesomeness of your power and how great you are and that you control all things and that nothing um, comes to us that doesn't first come through your hand. And so we can trust you and rely upon your goodness and your kindness to your people. We pray that you show that kindness to us this morning as we go over this next passage and we are Again, swept up in what you did in the first century, getting the church moving forward in their mission. We pray that we would be, um, that we would have hearts that are renewed and um, focused on the mission that you have to make yourself known because of the finished work of Christ. We pray that you would do that in us a little bit more this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, we are in Acts chapter 11 um, this is the third uh, installment of a, of a pretty long narrative that we've been going through on the conversion of Cornelius and it was a significant event in the life of the church why why was why was that as we have gone through this what have we seen Yeah, and, and we've seen that a little bit this morning. Um, this, is, the, this is further spreading, spreading the gospel out to more of the, the whole world. This is right. When the church began, who who was at issue? Who was who was the who were the just Jerusalem, just the Jews, and that was consistent with what they had seen throughout the history of Israel. It's all it's it's localized to a nation. And anyone outside the nation wasn't really considered God's people unless they, they became converted to Judaism. They had to go through this whole process, right? So here we have um, this historical uh, working of the Holy Spirit in giving both Peter and giving Cornelius visions to, to orchestrate a meeting, basically. And, um, and so the meeting ended how? What happened? What happened with the meeting, with Cornelius and, 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 um, and Peter at the very end? Peter preached. Peter preached, and what happened? Gentile Pentecost. Gentile Pentecost. Okay. In what way did that demonstrate itself? What, what? By leading the Holy Spirit. By leading the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's the cause, but what was the expression? We're speaking in unknown languages. Unknown, unknown languages. Or somewhat known. Known but unknown to them at the time, kind of thing. Yes. But not, 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 not Oracle of Delphi speech. I know we're, we're, we're trying to build in a lot of caveats here because of the nonsense that we see in our culture. But yes. The language of the, of the, of the, of the text is they spoke in tongues. How we understand that, we can talk about in a topical lesson sometime in the future. But that's the, that's the state of the language. All right. So the, you have the Gentiles displaying a very objective, verifiable sign of the Spirit's work in them. And this is so overwhelming to Peter that he immediately says, why would we withhold baptism from the Gentiles? And what's significant about that? Baptism with the Gentiles. What does baptism represent? Okay, salvation. I heard a very timid <coughs> salvation. Kevin's looking for a certain answer. I don't want to give the wrong one. It's okay. Just whatever. Inclusion. Jesus is always a good answer. Jesus. Inclusion in the church. The work of the Holy Spirit in the heart expressed outwardly. 
What? Public confession. Public confession of an inward change. Um, yes. All right. So do you recall? So that would mean that they would be accepted, they would, they, that they are part of the community of Christ, right? I mean, if you've got them baptized, they're identifying as members of the community. What were the two problems, the two obstacles that the uh, Jews, who were the church at the time, uh, what were the two obstacles that they had to overcome or they were faced with immediately because of this wrinkle? They wanted to be separate from Gentiles. They wanted to be separate from Gentiles. Why? Because they thought they were gross. Purity loss. Purity loss. The purity codes are there. So you had two issues. One, do Gentiles have to become pure like we Jews are so pure through, the, through our cultural thing, Levitical law? Um, and if not, what does that mean for us with table fellowship, going into a Gentile's house, that kind of thing? So you have those two issues. Uh, going on, and Peter just, after some convincing, three times being shown this vision, he goes to Cornelius' house, he goes inside the house of uncircumcised Gentiles, he uh, presumably stays with them, well, he, he does stay with them for a few days, presumably eats with them, non-separated, has table fellowship with them, and as you can expect, um, word gets around, Right? you got a leader of the new church, this new movement within Judaism. It gets around. And so we're going to start in chapter 11 see what happens here. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. Just real quickly, just stop right there. How far had this news spread? Samaria. What does it say? What does the text say? We'll stick with the... Throughout Judea. To Jerusalem and throughout Judea. And certainly in Jerusalem. Throughout Judea. The brothers all heard of it. Um, when Stephen was martyred, what was the distinction there? Why was, why, why was that such an offense? What was he saying that offended the, uh, the Jews in Jerusalem? Do you remember? The could be. That, the that God was going to save the Gentiles. That was offensive to them. And you remember at that time, even though they had martyred Stephen, the Jewish Christians, the ones who were, who were still following Levitical law and not really fraternizing with the enemy, still maintained some favor among the people. They grew in favor with the people. It was the Hellenistic Christians that, that, that were talking about God moving to the Gentiles and all this kind of stuff that was offensive to them. So you have here in the beginning um, that, that Luke identifies this group that seems to be distinct from the apostles and the wider Judean believers. What are they known as? What's the what's what are they called? The circumcision, the circumcision party. That sounds like a fun group. <laughs> I don't think I'd go. That that seems like you know that's one of those things you just don't want to RSVP. You know, no just gonna gonna. Yeah, this is the name of the party. <laughs> Bring your anesthetic. You know what. What? B, B, B Y O anesthetic? I don't know. So, 
That's the name of the party. They are defined by what? They're defined by a Jewish purity ritual. Inclusion in the community for uh, under the Old Covenant was through this very uh, personal act that was done upon the males of the, of the community, right? So you have them called the circumcision party. Um, they're going to require, and, and, it, and this plays out later, we'll see this again in chapter 15, they would require all Gentile male believers to be circumcised. And it's understandable why they would want to do that, why they would want to keep under Mosaic law at this time, isn't it? I mean, all of the, this is, Christianity is seen as a movement within Judaism. And Christ fulfills Judaism. That sounds really good. He fulfills what the Jews have longed for. All, and all the stuff, from Moses forward, all the law and the prophets, the writings, all, all of that points to Christ, and it's all within Judaism. So, of course, the covenant continues forward. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a very, it's one covenant, maybe two administrations. You know, it just comes forward. Right? That's their argument. Um, they saw Gentile Christians also becoming Jews, so they should undergo the normal procedure for conversion to Judaism. So, with this being in mind, this is the, 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 the mindset of um, the, the fun guys. Uh, how do you think that would, if that took hold, took root in the church, and that became the dominant understanding how is that going to affect the gentile mission we'd be pagans right now, <laughs> be pagans right now. that's i mean it, if it depended on the externals of judaism for gentiles to get in that that's going to be a dampening effect for for just practically speaking for uh, for adding gentiles to the church right you need to follow Jesus and follow these other, you know, rules. But I can't tell you what. You but I can't tell you what, yeah. It makes it works-based. It makes it works-based. Works and, that, and that spreads to a lot of different things. Not just Catholicism, a lot of different things. All right, so most Gentiles will have problems with the more external elements of Judaism. So Peter is questioned. How is he questioned? Verse 3, how is he questioned? What... Is this a, hey, should we be doing this? Is this really consistent with the law that we hold to? How is he questioned? Very accusatorily. He's on trial. This is an accusation. This becomes a charge against the, the, the leader of the apostles, so to speak. Not the Pope, I'm not even going to go there. It's the leader of the apostles. He's a spokesman for them. It's not, should we be doing this? Are we violating the law? It's an attack on Peter. You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. It's not even a question. He didn't, they're not even upset that he preached the gospel to them. That wasn't, isn't that odd? It wasn't, hey, why are you sharing this with them? It was that you ate with them. Does this accusation sound familiar? Do we, have we heard this before? It does, doesn't it? It does. When the Pharisees said to Jesus that uh, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So in questioning another brother, it's probably best 
not to sound like those who, uh, who opposed Christ in his earthly ministry. I'm just saying, if you're going to go with confronting a brother, that's probably not the tactic you want to use. And that's exactly what they're doing. They're sounding like Pharisees. So, this has the demeanor of Peter on trial. Peter's eating with the Gentiles showed his acceptance of them as fellow Christians, even though they were still uncircumcised. Why would he do that? What, what basis does he have to accept Gentiles? Holy Spirit, the vision. The Holy Spirit doing what? The vision is one, getting him there. Confirming with the same apostolic sign that they had at the beginning. And that's exactly where he goes. Who am I to reject what God obviously is doing? Right? Who am I to do that? His acceptance mirrored God's acceptance. He tells of the vision and God's instruction uh, uh, to Peter that there are no unclean people and God accepts the Gentiles. Look at, look at verse 4. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. Sounding just like his accusers right there, isn't he? But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at, the very at that very moment, Three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. So here you have him recounting everything. He adds some details that we didn't see in the, in the text and the narrative you know, before. One was that there were six guys who went with him. Okay, so in, in preparing and reading through stuff, there are some smart guys who make a big deal out of the six guys going with uh, Peter and one, you know, with Peter, that makes seven. And you know, there are seven seals on official documents that are transported, like a wheel. S seven sometimes just means seven. It's just seven guys go. But it's important that they're there. Why? Witnesses. They're witnesses. You got more than two, right? Which is Jewish law. Over an abundance of evidence of the Holy Spirit moving and, and, and having, um, having confirmed and affirmed the, the Gentile mission. All right, look what he does next. Verse 13. And he told us, that he, Cornelius, told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will, be declared, he will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, 
the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? So here he is giving the summary of the, the vision of Cornelius. What is he demonstrating by telling them of Cornelius' vision too? How is he making his defense? What is he demonstrating? That the Holy Spirit spoke to Cornelius. It wasn't Peter's um, initiation. The Holy Spirit also spoke to Cornelius. In fact, he spoke to him first. Right? Uh, and so by showing that the Holy Spirit is... Talking to Cornelius, gets, get Peter here, what is, what is he recounting, uh, and this is a little bit new too, what is he recounting from Cornelius' vision that the Holy Spirit is telling him? He says, get Peter here, why? Hear the message he's going to preach, why? And you shall what? Be saved. Shall be saved. There's a promise of salvation to a Gentile, uncircumcised Roman officer. You and your household. We can make some discussion of that at another time, but basically the whole issue is not just you, but your group. There's a promise to a... Now who, who does God make promises to? His people. His people. That's exactly right. His people. So he is, again, making the argument that Cornelius receiving that promise from God. Um, it's a direct promise of salvation. Uh, incidentally, it wasn't a maybe. It was a direct promise. It's going to happen. Does Peter give a summary of his sermon here? Oh, guys, you should have heard me. Yeah. I rocked it. I had my three points. I had my illustration. And, um, and I had, everything started with an A. And it really made sense. What, how does he describe what he does? The worship band was awesome. The fog machine worked. <laughs> the lights were dimmed. I began speaking. I opened my mouth. I began speaking. I just began, which tells you something. I just began. And then the Holy Spirit falls. It's, I had more to say. It's not based on what I said, although he did convey history, the gospel, the call to repent. He did that. That was in the content. But it was his faithfulness just to be there and to open his mouth. I just began. I hadn't even gotten the words out, really. And the Holy Spirit falls. As I began to speak, how does he describe the work of the Holy Spirit to the Gentiles? What does he say? In the same way. Now, this is a, he draws the, the comparison here to Pentecost, and he does it directly what is only implied in the, in the uh, historical narrative we read in chapter 10. It's even more explicit that he um, is remembering the words that Jesus spoke in chapter 1, 5. John baptized with water. I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. What's the implication there? Who's the you that Jesus is referring to? All nations, not just Jews. 
people from every tongue, tribe, ethnicity, people group. Does the Holy Spirit fall on those whom God has not accepted? Does He save those whom God has not accepted? That's the, that's the thrust of His message here, to, or His defense to the uh, Jerusalem church. You have here this expression of another Pentecost among Gentiles, and it's a type of the reconciliation between Jew and Gentile. The, the alienation between them for ages had been secured and symbolized by differences of language. And here the same expression of languages is, is shown in their Pentecost. The Gentile Pentecost mirrors that of the Jewish Pentecost. And so then P Peter draws the right conclusion in verse 17. In case they missed it the first time, Peter repeats that God gave the Gentiles the same gift of the Spirit that He gave to them at the first. How would Peter... He says this. It's a very odd statement. He says, um, If then God gave, them, gave the same gift to them as He gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus, who was I that I could stand in God's way? How would he have been opposing God? What, what, would, have, what, he, what would he have been doing to oppose God at that moment? Not going and not speaking and not saving. Not, not going, not speaking, and not... He said, How, why should I withhold baptism from these guys? Why, why, who am I to say that they're not part of the community? God's done this. He's brought us together. He's fallen on them. They're having the same expression that we did at the first. Who am I, and by implication, who are you, circumcision party, to oppose God and not giving fellowship to these Gentiles, these brothers in Christ? It's a different community. The way this happened proved conclusively that it was God's intention to include the Gentiles in His people. So, what could the circumcision group say to this? What could they say? When they heard these things, they fell silent. Incidentally, who am I to oppose God? Have we heard an argument similar to that before? Do you remember earlier in Acts, we had the same kind of argument made. It wasn't by one of the church guys. Was it the Ananias? Close. It was in that group. Gamaliel. It was yes. It was in that same section when they when they're talking about what do we do with these apostles that we've beaten, and we're gonna we're gonna let them go, or we're gonna kill them, or we're gonna do. Gamaliel says says if this is of men, it's gonna die out. If it's of God, you may be working to oppose God. Peter makes the same argument here to the guys of the circumcision, to the fun guys, right? What, what is the implication there? These objectors to accepting the Gentile brothers in for fellowship mirror the Sanhedrin. So, if you're in the body of Christ... You want to mirror this? Is this where you want to go? That's a pretty strong comparison. He, again, as we've seen again and again with, with, with Peter and the other apostles, when they get into a trial situation, they do jujitsu. 
And that's what he's doing right here. He's doing jujitsu. You are now looking like the guys who are persecuting the church through your arguments. And so he says in verse, uh, it says in verse 18, When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. They praised God for what? That the Gentiles made the right decision. That they took that one step when God took nine. What do they praise God for? What do they praise Him for? He gives life even to the Gentiles. He gives life even to the Gentiles. It's His work. It's His doing. And because it's His, I, by what standard am I judging God? <laughs> right? They give glory to God that He had granted repentance even to the Gentiles. It's all been a work of God. The visions, the meeting, even the repentance and faith in Christ. It's all His work. And this sounds great, doesn't it? I wish it would have ended here. I wish this whole issue would have ended here, but it doesn't. What we'll see next, uh, when, we, when we continue in chapter 11, is the outpost in Antioch, where it's a fully Gentile thing. And then from there, we launch into Paul and Barnabas. And their mission to the Gentiles is wildly successful. You have a lot more, estimates are, a lot more Gentiles converting at that time than Jews, which leads to Paul talking about that in Romans 9, what's going on there. And, you know, it sounds great when we've got a few, we have a household here of Gentiles. Well, maybe he's a pious guy. We'll go with it. Peter makes a compelling argument. You get the feeling that it was probably the apostles who were more rejoicing in the Lord at this time than it was the, the fun guys. So you, you have a massive influx of Gentiles coming, Paul and Barnabas and others that are... So you have uh, then uh, a massive scale of things that gets real. It's fine when it's just a household, when we're still outnumbering them, but when we're surrounded by uncircumcised Gentiles who are also claiming the name of Christ, eh, now it's getting real. This is, this is infringing upon my culture. It's infringing upon my identity. What's at stake here? Up until this point, the, the, the Jewish-speaking uh, Christians had received some kind of... Um, acceptance among the community still follow the law they still have temple worship they still they still do the things that make them pure but when it gets out that a prominent leader of the apostolic company is fraternizing with gentiles perceptions may change so the fun guys actually have a real concern and it's a concern of persecution over the type of which they see with Stephen. In fact, this does play out. I mean, a lot of guys say that, that when Herod killed James, and we'll get to that later, when he kills the Apostle James, and he saw that the Jews approved of it. Why would they approve of it? Well, because these guys are bringing in Gentiles. That led to his persecution of the church in, in uh, Israel. All right, at this point... 
Peter is not just convinced that God has accepted the Gentiles also, but becomes their advocate. In fact, he, advocate, he advocates the same position as Gamaliel did to the Sanhedrin. Um, and so Christ does not withhold his grace based on external factors, color of skin, history of culture, language, past sin, and rebellion. Neither should believers the proclaiming of it. Neither should believers in extending the welcome of Christ to those to whom God might grant repentance that leads to life. We don't know who those are. And so we indiscriminately preach Christ. We trust that God does know who they are and act accordingly. What are some things that you see? Just kind of going over this. What are some things that you see? How would this apply to, to where we are today. Can you think of some people groups, just off the top of your head, that we might be, mm, not them. Surely God wouldn't save them. Is that, it's a new issue, isn't it, for us? The, the church hasn't faced this before. We don't know the answer to these questions. They're so profound and, and beyond our ken that we can't. It's the same thing, right? It's the same thing. Whenever missionaries have gone years past, centuries past, whatever, into certain tribal groups, sometimes they try to change their whole culture. And there might have been some sinful parts of culture, like if there was child sacrifice or things like that, that that had to go. Right. But there may have been some things that were just culture, things that ate or whatever, yeah. that they wanted to remove. And so I, I think... I think it's hard to go in and to remember that it's Christ you're preaching mm -hmm. and that it's the gospel you're preaching and that if it's not, if their culture, parts of their culture aren't opposed to the gospel, right. it doesn't necessarily mean you have to take their whole culture. Right. And We're preaching it. Christ, not America. Right. Yeah. yeah. And But this has, this has because, significant... Because you know, worship in Africa or South America mm -hmm. or places like that looks different yeah. than it does in Texas. Yeah. But that's well, not, it, that's not it does that's between Texas. Oklahoma and Texas. <laughs> I mean, um, so <laughs> does among the Choctaws, yes. Um, was it Hudson Taylor that whenever, he went to China, right? Is he the one that went to China? The one with the beard. Yeah. The, the beard. <laughs> did he, did he, is, who was the missionary that shaved his head except for the ponytail to, to, to witness to the Chinese. Who was that? He did the whole thing. He went. He completely adopted their way of dress and the whole deal. To and it was not Tom Cruise. Stop it. It was not the Last Samurai. <laughs> anyway, one of them. I think I thought it was Hudson Taylor. I could be. No. He did go to China, but I don't think. Well, what? Anyways, one of them did this, and and it was the the idea was I'm become all things to all men that some might uh, trust in Christ, and so, but he he. He did not wear the typical English dress. I mean, he, he, he went the whole thing. Anyway, I just thought that was... I think that was a problem with kind of past, past few hundred years, missionaries going out trying to create Europeans and not Right, Christians. right. The westernization. The westernization of the mission field. Yeah, so, so, but that does have practical implications in other areas. How are we, is it, when you're translating the Bible into another language, how, what words do you use for, I don't know, Jesus, God, Holy Spirit? 
how do you how do you how this is an issue on, from a textual thing too because sometimes adopting a cultural language has all kinds of implications that are antithetical to the gospel so this is that that's some of the discernment that that's needed now this this uh, contextualization of scripture is is an issue that that flows from this idea of do we want to well, yeah, but Greek to Swahili, you know, or, or other places, in, in some of the, the, the Arabic languages, you've got the use of Isa as for Jesus, and that has, that has implications that are not helpful. So there's a, there's a big debate going on. How far do we take this? And again, I, that's wisdom and discretion that you have to use. It's because Christianity is a thinking language. It's not... It's not a, uh, a, a cookie-cutter religion. Um, we have to think through things and use wisdom. But the, the, the goal is not to make the world America. The world is to make the world Christian. We're, by the way, you realize that we come here every week plotting and planning world domination. You, you understand that. This is where we are. This is what we're doing. We don't do it with a sword. And sometimes we rub our hands together, but it's usually when it's cold. Um, but this is the goal. Christ to all, right? All of the, all nations under the authority of Christ. How does that work out? You were going to say something, and I, and I just kept on talking. I was just thinking of the world domination joke we made earlier. Okay, well, there it is. I think another important thing to look at in this is that the Holy Spirit <coughs> was at work in the Jerusalem church, mm-hmm. and that even though they had a disagreement, they saw things differently than Peter the Holy Spirit was obviously working in them if they could listen to his argument and their hearts weren't turned hard and they didn't pick up stones to stone Right. They said, okay, let's glorify God. He's obviously working in the Gentiles. Right. And so I, I think that's a really neat picture of how the Holy Spirit was working in people who had very different perspectives mm-hmm. of how God was supposed to work, but but being open to the movement of the Spirit within the yeah church. yeah this isn't a fight over the carpet this is a pretty substantive issue and the gospel's at stake as paul talks about later in galatians the gospel's at stake at the, on this issue so yeah that was a and, and again the holy spirit working toward the unity of the church rather than allowing man's uh penchant for division to to rule the day do okay. we know a timeline as to this Versus when Paul withstood Peter to the face. I mean, did that happen after this? I mean, yeah. I know we're all human, and he's not just going to get it overnight. Right. No, I, I, they, my understanding is it happened after this. Jerusalem Council is like 50, 80. Mm-hmm. Somewhere around there. Yeah. So it, there's some implication. I mean, it, common understanding that I've read anyway is that it happened after this. Right. So again, you have the weakness of Peter. Right. Again, and and and. Not just being nice to Gentiles, but the gospel is at stake in how you treat them. Mm-hmm. Let that sit on you. And the gospel is at stake in how we treat each other. Um, anyway, and, and how we justify how we treat each other. Okay, anything else? Uh, doesn't Paul, I forget where it's at, he says something about uh, circumcision of the heart versus mm. circumcision of the flesh. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's circumcision was a mark 
it's setting the Jews apart mm -hmm. from the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. But it, God has, that was more of a type and shadow of the spiritual circumcision. Right. The Gentiles have received the spiritual circumcision. Right. <laughs> Which feeds into the other topic that we'll t discuss that comes from this passage said later today. Like Deuteronomy 10 or somewhere that yeah. says, that God says, circumcise your heart. Yeah, it, it, that's an idea yeah. from the Old Testament. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Paul is using it. So it's. Again. It's one thing. But, but a Jew would understand that to be, oh, I need to be fully yeah. engaged in the covenant. Right. Paul is using it to say, this is the mark of the new community. Circumcision was an external right to show member of a nation. Circumcision of the heart is an internal right done by the Holy Spirit to show <clears throat> uh, inclusion and membership of the nation. Right. And again, we see that it moves from physical to spiritual implication. There's not a one-to-one -one relationship with another right that has to be external to make sure that you're physically external, a member of the... And I'm just going to throw that out there. there there's this, this kind of trend toward what happens in the heart. Baptism is basically uh, a, 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 an external recognition of the internal circumcision of the heart. Right. I, okay, I haven't... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw this out. I haven't talked to him about doing this. I would love to, uh, Dan Smith, dear friend, I love the guy, he's Presbyterian, very much infant baptism, pedo-baptist kind of guy. I would love to just have a discussion, just, just kind of a recorded discussion of the two of us. We've had many talks over lunches, and their understanding of one covenant of grace, two administrations, versus our understanding of two covenants, one, the covenant of grace being slowly, progressively revealed and consummated in Christ, rather than... Anyways, it's a great discussion. It's, I think it helps. When we go through the, um, the 1689 Confession, that's one of the topics we're going to take up, is why the, our, our Baptist forefathers uh, decided to break with Westminster at certain elements. Not, not the elements, but, but like certain areas of the, of the Confession. And that's one of the issues of baptism. Ecclesiology is another, and, and there's some other things. But baptism is a big deal, and it's how we understand God's working uh, for his people, how how those covenants work, how how the the um, what Presbyterians call the administration of covenants, we don't really use that language in Baptist thought, but it's a very interesting thing. And and again, it's secondary issue. It's why we're we're not all Presbyterian. I really wanted. I'll just be honest. I really wanted to be. I love the history of Presbyterianism. I think that I mean, you got John Knox, you got all these fiery guys. I wanted to be identified with them. Just couldn't go there. And so that's, that's kept me at least a toe in the water with Reformed Baptists. So that's, that's the way that is. But I think it would be helpful to have a discussion with someone who holds that view to kind of, because that's foreign to us. We don't, we don't run in those, we don't swim in those waters. So um, maybe, maybe, we can, maybe we can do that at a later date. I haven't talked to him about it yet, and, I, and hopefully I'm not putting him on the spot if he hears this. I don't know that he will. He's an avid listener to our class, by the way. He just, I'm, no, he's not. Um, Anyway, so, so that's something I, I have in the works, hopefully, when we get to the 1689. But we've got to get through Acts first. What if we could get R.C. Sproul, you versus R.C. Sproul? Me versus R.C. Sproul? No, I'll call in John MacArthur on that one. <laughs> Where is it? Where's the text? And then it's quiet. Just open your mouth. Just open your mouth. 
Gospel, I'm fine. We get into those, we, we nail down those things. I, I might be a little bit out of my league on that, but uh, anyway. There's a Gospel Coalition eight-minute thing on the difference, and it's... Oh, it's the same, same deal? It's neat because it's like, oh, wow, they're executing Scripture the way... I mean, it's yeah. just beautiful. Yeah, yeah. No, they're good friends, and that's a, it's a good thing to want. So, um, all right, any, anything else? It's, I just want it known, for the record, it is 10.06. 10.06. Because it's not 10.22. So should I pray? I'll pray. All right, we'll pray. Father, as a Gentile, I thank you that you have opened up the gift of your Son to us. And that you've made the entry into your kingdom not based on external rights, but on the work of your Holy Spirit that is not dependent on me not dependent on us and our actions and our strivings and our, our little rules that we make. I pray, Father, that, that we would be people that are driven to daily repentance and faith in the finished work of Christ. And that, our, the, that you, your will in us would be realized, our thankfulness. That we would live thankful lives because there's no longer a barrier between Gentile and Jew, between God and man, because of what Jesus has done. He's broken down that dividing wall of hostility in his flesh. His flesh was ripped so that we may enter in. And that he now seats, sits at your right hand, seated on a throne, ruling and reigning all nations. Not just one, all nations. And then he calls his people to himself by a work of your Holy Spirit that we can't control. God, I pray that the confidence that you grant repentance would drive us to open our mouths to share the gospel of your mercy. And that we would call all men, be reconciled to God through the finished work of Jesus. May it start with us. May we preach the gospel to ourselves every day, reminding ourselves of what it cost you to be reconciled with us. And that we would take that, let the weight of that hit us, and sin no more. Thank you that they are forgiven. I pray that we would work hard to reflect Christ and be who we are in Jesus. And the way that we love one another and, and serve one another and the way that we serve the world around us. People who are made in your image who need Christ. We thank you for all these things in Christ's name. Amen. <coughs>